Get to Old Navy for the biggest sale of the year. Up to 60% off all back-to-school styles for kids and baby. Get flip-flops for 2 bucks, graphic tees for 4 bucks, shorts for $6, and jeans for $8. Right now, get the best kids' styles at kid-size prices. Just 2 4 6 and $8. Can't wait to wear it? Buy online and pick up in-store free today. Up to 60% off all kids and baby styles now at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 729 to 811. Select styles. Excludes in-store clearance. Get to Old Navy for the biggest sale of the year. Up to 60% off all back-to-school styles for kids and baby. Get flip-flops for 2 bucks, graphic tees for 4 bucks, shorts for $6, and jeans for $8. Right now, get the best kids' styles at kid-size prices. Just 2 4 6 and $8. Can't wait to wear it? Buy online and pick up in-store free today. Up to 60% off all kids and baby styles now at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 729-811. Select styles. Excludes in-store Welcome to Total Wine and More. It's much more than a wine store. It's the eighth wonder of the world. When people talk about Total Wine and More, they get a little carried away. We're just a big, friendly place run by people with a passion for wine and beer. See, we travel the world to find the best wines from the best regions, and we sell them at the lowest prices anywhere. And friendly, helpful experts at every turn. You know what? Maybe we are the eighth wonder of the world. Shop in store or online at TotalWine.com. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the NBA Podcast. Before we get underway, just a few reminders. You can find us on Twitter at the NBA Pod. In our bio, you can find all three of our Twitter handles as well, so be sure to give us a follow. You can check us out on iTunes. Be sure to subscribe, to download, to leave us some reviews. We'd love to hear any feedback you have. And this year we're being hosted on FanRag Sports, so check them out on Twitter at FanRag Sports. And for the NBA-centric... Motorist Insurance Group and Brick Street Insurance have come together to create a better one-stop shop for agents and policyholders, encircling you with coverage at every step in life's journey. We are now in Cova Insurance. Content at FanRag NBA. This week, I am joined, as always, by Sarah Chalea. How's it going, Sarah? It's going all right. I gotta apologize if it sounds like I'm dying, because I might actually be, but nobody <laughs> be alarmed. It's all good. <laughs> How think, you been? I'm good. I think I might have somehow passed my call <laughs> to you through the podcast last week, so I apologize about that. Uh, our third trusty co-host, Morton Jensen, cannot join us today. He is off gallivanting in Rome on his honeymoon. <laughs> Really, he just knew we were going to talk about Derrick Rose, so he fled the country. But he, <laughs> he will be back next time. And I think we need to really start there with Derrick Rose, because that was the weirdest and biggest news of the week, mm-hmm. to say the least. Uh, just some background for those who were not aware or on Twitter Monday night. Uh, Derrick Rose shows up to shoot around that morning. All is normal. He's listed as a starter that night. Uh, all of a sudden, the Bull or the Knicks cannot find him. He does not show up to the game. Uh, they try to contact him during the game. They can't reach him. Uh, a couple of Knicks reporters and Adrian Wojnarowski are kind of tweeting breathless updates throughout the game, just saying like the Knicks have no idea where he is. Uh, turns out, it sounds like he went back to Chicago. He said he had a family situation that needed to be tended to right away. Uh, he said he didn't answer the Knicks calls because he needed quote space. So that was weird already. 
Uh, Frank Izola of the New York Daily News said Rose was, quote, an emotional wreck, and his, quote, state of mind was such that for a brief time, he talked about walking away from basketball for an extended period of time to clear his mind. So, we still don't know what's going on with his family. Don't, we don't want to speculate about that. Uh, I mean, I think we can all agree that, you know, family always comes first. We, you know, we praised Drew Holiday earlier this year for taking time off and praised the Pelicans for letting him do so. So we're not going to, you know, crap on Rose for taking time off for a family situation. That said, I think we can agree he probably should have called the team and let them know what was going on. Uh, but, you know, this begs the question. Rose is only signed through the end of this year. Uh, according to ESPN.com's Ian Begley, he is expected to pursue a max contract this summer, which would be in the range of five years, $150 million. So, Sarah, what do you think the Knicks should do here? How should they proceed with Derrick Rose? Well, for right now, you know, you just kind of move forward. You know, they, they find him. And I think everybody's trying to move on from whatever happened. Um, but, you know, and like you said, we don't want to get into it that much because it all sounds very personal and very human, honestly. But, like like you said, ideally he would have let them know, like send a quick text or email through his phone or something. But um, I certainly can understand wanting to disappear <laughs> as long as it, it's not a routine occurrence. You hope that the people who care about you and work closely with you can, can understand and forgive that uh, once. But I think it probably is one of many things that contributes to uh, an uncertainty about his future in, in the league or with the Knicks or, you know, I think it's kind of sad that it came out that, you know, he was possibly thinking about walking away from, from the game. Cause I think anybody probably goes through moments of considering things like that. Um, but you you kind of like to keep it all, you know, close to the vest. Um, yeah, I just, obviously, I don't think anyone's going to offer him a max. Um, and he's probably going to, it's going to be interesting to see where he goes from here, you know, especially, like I said, with that coming out, that, that he may have thought about that, who's going to want to commit to him long term. So that's that's probably the biggest question. Yeah, I think uh, that that really is the big question because, you know, we've talked about this a lot, uh, you know, in previous podcasts about how rich the point guard position is across mm -hmm. the league. So it's not like there aren't that many teams that need an answer at point guard, first right. of all. And then with all of the issues that come with Derrick Rose, particularly his injury history, you know, it's tough to rely on him as a long-term answer, especially at that kind of money. So I think, you know, when this Begley report circulated earlier this week, everyone saw it and was just like, oh yeah, I'm pursuing a max contract too. I would like to also be paid $30 million a year. Uh, so I think it's safe to say he will not be getting that no matter where he goes. The question really is, you know, should the Knicks stay with him or should... You know, should should they be willing to re-sign him at any price? Or, you know, should this incident coupled with his relative ineffectiveness this year just cause them to say, you know what, you know, we're, we're moving on. We don't want you back at any price. It's worth noting, 
you know, since his his one game sabbatical, he's actually played pretty well in the two games since. Um, you know, he he kept them competitive in the loss against the Sixers on Wednesday, and then helped them route the bull, the Jimmy Butler less Bulls on Thursday. So he is showing flashes of, you know, I don't want to say like his vintage self, but he is showing flashes of eighty percent of his old self. Somewhere around that. Um, Some kind of effectiveness is always good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it, it's certainly uh, a tough situation for the Knicks moving forward. Uh, you know, I think, frankly, I think if they can find a taker for him at the trade deadline, if a team is like really desperate and thinks he's the answer that can help push them over the top, they'd be crazy not to pursue that. Uh, I don't know if they're going to get that lucky, but it's definitely you know something worth considering uh, in the next month or so before the February 23rd trade deadline. Uh, so let's now move on. Uh, you know, last time we talked about Paul Millsap a lot because uh, right around then was when ESPN.com's Mark Stein and Brian Windhorst reported the Hawks were shopping him. Uh, along with Kyle Korver, who we will discuss briefly in a bit, and Thabo Cephalosha. Uh, this past week, the Verticals' Adrian Wojnarowski, I think it was on Monday, reported that the Hawks are no longer shopping him. Um, they said they were taking him off the trade market and informing teams that he's not available. Uh, according to ESPN.com's Ong Yongmisuk, uh, they also have informed Millsap that he will not be traded. So... Do we think this is actually the end of the Millsap trade speculation, or is it a ploy from the Hawks to drive up prices? You know, coerce teams basically to say, "Okay, you know, teams have done this before." Basically, where they say, oh, "You know, we're not getting the offers that we are, the caliber of offers that we want for this player. We're taking them off the market." And then three weeks later, a team will be like, "All right, we're desperate." We'll throw in an extra first-round pick, or we'll throw in an extra prospect, and then he's right back on the table. So where do you fall on that spectrum? Do you think he's truly not zero chance of him moving before the trade deadline, or are the Hawks just trying to uh, convince teams to give up a little bit more? I don't know what the Hawks are doing, but um, I would say the door is closed, but it's not locked, probably. You know, that they're probably going to keep that open. Um, just kind of see what they get offered, but it's just weird, you know, that the Corver trade seemed to signify that they were just going to tear everything down. Uh, of course, I understand just trying to see, what, you know, get something for him at the, at that point, but it's hard to believe that that was the best option was, you know, to give him to the top team in your conference for not a lot. Apparently they wanted Dunleavy, but... I don't know, but I did say last time that I hoped to see Paul stay, so if that ends up being what happens, then I'll be happy about it. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that would be you know, ideal if only because the Hawks are still a competitive team. Uh, yeah. You know, I think there's an argument either way. So the one side says you know they're not going to beat Cleveland this year, and Millsap's a free agent, so what's the point in spinning your wheels in a way? Mm-hmm. Uh but if Millsap really wants to stay there, 
you know, this is what we said last time. It comes down to what Millsap is telling them behind the scenes, basically. If he's saying, I want to stay there, I'm going to resign with you long term, you know, I'll even give you a hometown discount, maybe. You know, I'm not just in it for the money. I'm not going to take the highest offer. Then if you're the Hawks, I think you kind of have to keep him because mm-hmm. he's still a great player. You know, he's a still, we said it last episode, he's still a top 20 NBA player, even though for whatever reason, every time his name comes up in trade speculation, people on Twitter are like, oh, why would you trade anything of value for Paul Millsap? <laughs> Paul Millsap's really freaking good, man. Uh, so yeah, they do the it, same thing with Jimmy on I know, Twitter. Yeah, I know. It's crazy. Yeah. I, <laughs> I've been, I mean... Obviously, we follow a bunch of Chicago people. So, uh, <laughs> Jason Pat of FanFag Sports was sparring recently with a guy who would not trade. I think he will, he wouldn't trade Jalen Brown straight up for Jimmy Butler. <laughs> so, there is therein lies the value of discussing trades on Twitter. There is none. But the yep. age thing is overblown, don't you think? Though, because that's what a lot of it is with Jimmy, and it's like I get it, but at the same time. You know, I'm a Spurs fan, so you know, <laughs> sure, we've yeah. had guys who've been effective well into their 30s. Right. So. You're used to, I mean, your Westworld robots work a lot longer <laughs> than the rest of the leagues. But yeah, not not every player ages gracefully until he's 39, true. only in San Antonio. But <laughs> I, I mean, uh, you know, that's the same holds true for Millsap in a way. Like he's, I think, mm-hmm. 30, 31 or 32. So, you know, again, it's kind of the windows of contention thing. But, like, you also just signed a 30-year-old Dwight Howard for three years. So if you were that mm-hmm. concerned about going all in on a youth movement, you're not going to resign or you're not going to sign Dwight either. Uh, so, you know, I, the Hawks have won seven straight. They're, you know, fourth in the East. They have a 2.5 game lead over the Bucks, Pacers, and the Hornets uh, for the number four seed. So... I think it kind of depends what happens in the next couple of weeks with them. If they hit a big skid and they suddenly don't look like they are going to make the playoffs, maybe they make a move. But I'm with you. I, I kind of think if Millsap is telling them that he wants to stay there and, you know, from all accounts he does, then unless you're absolutely blown away with an offer, I, I don't think you sell him for 60 cents on the dollar just to make a move. I don't think there's yeah. a point in that if, you know, if he's going to resign there, great. You know, I I get that they're worried about what happened with Al Horford uh, happening again with Millsap. But if he's saying he's not going to do it, at a certain point, you just have to take him by his word and understand that the circumstances of last summer are very much a one-time anomaly. The cap is never going to spike that high that quickly. You know, you're never going to be able to create a super team like the Warriors overnight, that kind of thing. Um, you know, the Hawks, we talked about them with Millsap, uh, and why they shouldn't trade him. That said, they did actually make the first move of the trade season, uh, last Friday, I believe is when the news came out. Uh, they traded Kyle Korver to Cleveland for Mo Williams, who is effectively retired, Mike Dunleavy, and a 2019 first round pick. Uh, we need to give a shout out to Cavs GM David Griffin because he he continues to just make something out of nothing. Uh, it's frankly incredible that he's able to continue loading this team with valuable pieces, even though they're you know beyond capped out. Uh, and for this trade, he sent a 
He flipped picks with Portland. Cleveland owed Portland their 2018 first. He instead sent them their 2017 first, so they could then be eligible to trade a 2019 first rounder. Because of the Stepien rule, you can't trade first round picks in back-to-back drafts. So uh, ESPN.com's Brian Windhorst has a really good story about David Griffin and just kind of how, how they keep asking him to conjure these crazy you know, mm. deals to round out the core, and he keeps doing it. So shout out to him for that. Uh, Sarah, what did you think of the Corver trade? Did you, did you like it from the Cavs' perspective, from the Hawks' perspective, from both, or from neither? Obviously, it's it's a pretty good deal for the Cavs. Um, you know, he had kind of a, a rocky start. He's still uh, Corver, that is. Uh, integrating, which is to be expected, but he's getting loads of open shots, which we all knew he would. Uh, there are some questions about defense, but they'll work that out. Um, it's a good trade for them. For the Hawks, I didn't like it. I'm somewhat coming around. Um, I think they, you know, they've been called Spurs East. I think they're trying to take like a guy like Dunleavy and flip him into, you know, and he's been a productive role player before. It's not like he's nothing, you know. He's he's been productive. Uh, it's been a while, but I feel like he could be a, a good player for them, a good role player. So maybe it works out pretty well for them too. You know, maybe they were gonna lose Corver anyway and. Now they get a productive guy who, who's a similar type player, um, and they get a pick. So, hey, <laughs> it could, could, could end up working out for both teams. Yeah, I think I'm kind of right with you where I think it's a good move for both sides. You know, Cleveland obviously getting a guy like Corver, you know, just a career, I think, 42% three-point shooter, putting him next to LeBron and Kyrie and just feeding him open shots, you know, his... Yeah. Shooting percentage was down this year, but a lot of that was due to the type of shots he was taking. He was a lot, you know, he had to create more uh, off the dribble because Dennis Schroeder was not providing him the same looks mm-hmm. that Jeff Teague did. And Dwight Howard's not the passer that Al Horford was. So, you know, you're, you're Spurs East. Uh, the Hawks haven't been as fluid because uh, they've been integrating new pieces. You know, whereas yeah. that, you know, that core from a couple of years ago where consistent Eastern Conference Finals challengers. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think Corver, I, LeBron, I love his quote. He's just like, every time he touches the ball, he needs to shoot. Mm-hmm. Like, he just has the permanent green light. So uh, I think he's going to be a great fit. He's going to be, a, you know, he, defensively, you know, he's a 36-year-old guy. He's not going to provide much on that end. But I think his offensive contributions will hopefully outweigh whatever minus he has on defense. Uh, but for the Hawks, too, I like it. I mean, you know, we, I'm saying we, they shouldn't trade Millsap because they could re-sign him, uh, and he's not that old, relatively speaking. I mean, Corver's going to be 36 soon. Uh, they just drafted two wings in the first round this past year. They also have Tim Hardaway Jr., who's been playing well uh, in the last couple weeks. So in that sense, I think they kind of just wanted to get younger on the wing. And maybe that gets Kent Bazemore going. He's been, uh, you know, sneaky bad this season, and they just signed him to a huge deal uh, this past July. So I'm guessing this move was made. I don't want to call it addition by subtraction because Corver's still a good, productive player, but I think they just needed 
to get more time for their young guys. And, you know, that 2019 first-round pick, as long as LeBron James is still standing, it's going to be pretty low. It's going to be in the yeah. 25 to 30 range. So, you know, you, you can't expect much out of that. That said, Jimmy Butler was the number 30 pick. You know, when yeah. like you can, Rudy Gobert was 27. You know, it's a crapshoot. The draft is a crapshoot already. It's a super crapshoot when you get into the late first <laughs> round. But if you find a productive player there, that's going to be one of the biggest steals in the league. So you can only hope that, you know, at that point, you're just trusting your scouting department. But even still, Corver, there's a decent chance he was leaving for nothing in the summer anyway. So turning him in into any asset of even you know moderate value is better than losing him for nothing. So bravo to both sides. Uh, no real gripe there. So we need to now talk about DeMarcus Cousins. Uh, on Saturday, ESPN.com's Mark Stein reported the Kings were offering uh, or planning on offering him a $200 million, at least, I think it's $207 million extension uh, via the new designated player exception that we talked about a few episodes ago that is part of the new collective bargaining agreement, uh, barring a late change of direction. Uh, oh, no, sorry. Uh, yeah, so James Ham of CSN Bay Area reported Boogie is planning on signing it, barring a late change of direction, uh, which we don't know <laughs> what that means. Uh, but... <laughs> but uh, Tom Ziller of SB Nation, basically, he has a good article, so look him up if you want to read more about the Boogie Kings uh, extension and why it kind of makes sense for him to do it. Uh, But basically, the new CBA, the financial side, makes it now significantly more appealing for a player who qualifies for this designated player exception to sign an extension uh, versus test free agency. It's, it's a difference of upwards of $60 million. So this begs the question, do we think that these reports are valid? Do you think that Boogie is going to stay in Sacramento long-term? And should he? <laughs> well, I was somewhat surprised when I heard that he was planning on signing it. Um, but I probably shouldn't be. Because, like you said, like people like you and me can't even fathom the the idea of being offered two hundred million dollars <laughs> for right. anything. So that I'm sure that would be hard to resist. Um, it's just it's interesting to me uh, this whole you know with the new CBA. I'm interested to see how it plays out because yeah, I I understand wanting uh, teams to be able to hold on to their stars, especially. Uh, teams in those markets that aren't, you know, Los Angeles and, and New York. But I don't know. It's, it's going to be like, you know, that's been talked about somewhat on Twitter already too. I think um, Ethan Strauss, who's out in the Bay Area, has talked about, you know, is that great for the league to have these star talents languishing kind of in these, you know, teams that aren't going anywhere. Um that's uh, that that'll be the question you yeah. know if if Sacramento continues to be underwhelming as a kind of a franchise or a front office is that good <laughs> you know if Boogie stays and all we can do is wait and see um yeah. and the good thing about it is that you know the league seems to be 
open to you know they, obviously there's no perfect solutions so they they're trying things and if you know it doesn't work out they're just going to look and see what happens and they're open to um, changing it up and the good news is that the players association and the league brass seem to have a good relationship at the moment and they can compromise so hopefully that continues yeah definitely i mean i'm i'm with you when i heard it at first i was more surprised than i probably should have been just because mm-hmm. it seems like the writing has been on the wall for a while that boogie is going to bounce in 2018 yeah. when he becomes a free agent. Uh, that said, you said it well. Like I could not, if someone handed me a paper that said you can make 207 million dollars <laughs> over the next five years, I would have a very hard time turning that down. Uh, you know, I, I I've seen it framed on Twitter in like the sense that you know we, we always say like oh well he's still going to make 130 million like it's still life changing money either way. But if your boss offered you like $13,000 or $20,000, which one are you going to take? You're obviously <laughs> going to take 20000 even if you, yeah. you know, if you hate your job, you're still going to take the extra seven grand. So in that sense, I, I get it. Uh, you know, I think you, you hit on the big point. And as a Sixers fan, obviously, I, <laughs> I'm happy that the league <laughs> has made it yeah. easier to retain your stars, especially, you know, the homegrown ones, because that will be an issue for the Sixers over the coming years um, with Embiid, with Ben Simmons, with whoever they add as their lottery picks, picks, knock on wood, plural this year. (laughs) Um, So, you know, the fact that it's going to teams have more advantages in terms of retaining their stars I like it personally, selfishly, but I think you raise a very valid valid point. Like, is that good for the health of the league to have, you know, a frustrated boogie, uh, <laughs> you know, just languishing in Sacramento and putting up 28 and 12 every night, but, you know, being stuck on a 30-35 win team? Or if, you know, I don't, I don't want to say Anthony Davis is heading down that road, but, you know... So far, at least, the Pelicans haven't really constructed a well-rounded core around him to really exploit his particular talents. So if they continue down that path, you know, Paul George has expressed frustration this season about how he's, like, not having fun playing basketball anymore. Yeah. You know, do you want Paul George stuck in Indiana? Um, so I think it's definitely a a balancing act because you don't necessarily want every superstar flocking to four or five local destination teams. Um, But you also, you know, it sucks to see these guys who are, I don't want to say wasting their primes, but you know, they're nothing is coming. They're not having playoff success, at least like Mm -hmm. they're putting up huge numbers. They're getting all-star appearances, but you know, they're, they're nowhere close to winning a championship. So it's definitely something to monitor as we move forward, especially over these next couple of years and how we start to see the new CBA playing out. But yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll see what happens with Sacramento. I was just, uh, I just did a round table for the step back about kind of, uh, about the New York Knicks. And I came up with a scenario. You know, they asked like who the Knicks best long-term asset was. And I said, Carmelo, cause it only takes one desperate team to make a trade for him. 
right. to get a something in return. And I had this like this horrible vision. Can't you imagine this <laughs> summer when Rudy Gay leaves in free agency? The Kings are like, you know what? We need one more guy oh, to convince Boogie to stay. We're gonna trade Willie Cauley Stein, Costa Kufis, uh Who's the other one? Oh, Aaron Aflalo and like a lightly protected first round pick for Carmelo. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah, I mean, I can imagine it. Yeah. So I, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens in Sacramento this summer. I think it's going to be very interesting either way. I don't believe Boogie becomes eligible to sign that extension until July. So maybe he waits to see what happens with the draft and with free agency. Um, before making any rash decisions either way. But <laughs> it sounds like Kings reporters, you better get used to Boogie because it sounds like he is <laughs> sticking around long term. And speaking of which, if anyone missed it uh, after this news broke, he then interviewed a couple of reporters in the locker room. And it's fantastic. You should definitely be sure to go watch that on Twitter or YouTube because, uh, He's basically asking reporters if they want him to stay around reporters who he has a contentious relationship with. And one of them literally says no. <laughs> they weren't enthused, yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. You know, I was reading the articles that, you know, you mentioned. And it's like I didn't even realize he's been there for seven years already. And he's, I think they said he's about to pass Peja Stojakovic for a number two all-time scorer. Mm-hmm. It's like... You do feel like you. I know he's really good, but you feel like you're missing a bunch of his career because he's stuck in Sacramento. Right. But I mean, the counter argument is that you know they have a chance to make the playoffs this year after you know waiting it out for how long. The West is finally somewhat open that <laughs> last spot. You know <laughs> them and and the Pelicans. You mentioned Anthony Davis yeah. as well. So that's true. Yeah. They just needed the perfect confluence of events where no one wants to win the eighth <laughs> seed. And then they're exactly. right in they're right in the mix. Way to go, Kings. Good strategy. Uh we could touch on this next thing briefly, but we'll also get Morton to weigh in when he comes back. Uh last week Bleacher Reports Rick Buecher reported Jimmy Butler is on the trade block, quote, for the right price. He said the Bulls, quote, have been uncertain about building around Butler even after signing him to a huge deal. Uh, for what it's worth, ESPN.com's Mark Stein and The Athletic's Sean Hyken both refuted the report, and CBS Sports' Matt Moore also had a really good column about why the Bulls are not going to trade Butler. Sarah, do you think they should trade Butler, or do you think they're actually seriously considering it? They may be considering it. There again, you know, I don't know what that... We've heard Morton rail about the Bulls' front office right. quite a bit. Um, <laughs> Honestly, I don't think they should. Um, I probably shouldn't base it off of what I see on Twitter from people who apparently don't know Jimmy's value, but it just seems like they're not going to get what he he would deserve, you know, what he would garner. Yeah. Um, so I would say hold on to him. And as far as having reservations about building around him, I think – the, the small glimpses we've seen this year of what that might look like should alleviate any of that. <laughs> yes. There's no reason not to, uh, especially like you said, they've already given him the deal. Just go all in, mm-hmm. you know, no guts, no glory on that one. He, he's played really well and he doesn't even have, you know, a lot of shooting around him. Imagine if he did. So right. 
just give him the keys and you know you have a, a really good talent just you know, ride him yeah. let him let him be the star yeah i think i think morton last episode was saying you know imagine him as in the harden role basically mm-hmm. like imagine him as the full-time point guard like I, i'm with you i i think unless they get blown away by an offer they should not trade him whether they will or not is another question but you know, the past couple games have shown they suck without Jimmy Butler. They are they're just mm-hmm. like a depressing, bad team. They're like the 2015-16 Sixers. Like, they're just not even fun to watch. So I think, you know, the Bulls, the Bulls front office is concerned with ticket sales and with merchandise and with being considered, you know, a legitimate force in the East, uh, whether they are or they aren't. They want to have that perception, which is why they signed Rondo and why they signed Wade. So unless you can get a deal, I mean, Denver is frankly the only team, maybe Boston, if Danny Ainge actually decides to ever trade any of his real assets. Um, but Denver is the only team where I think, you know, if you're going to trade Jimmy, I think you're going all in on a rebuild. Like you're not, you don't want to be spinning wheels and trade Jimmy for another star caliber player in his late twenties. Like that's why the Boston thing is a little less appealing to me. You know, like Matt Moore had a column today where he proposed some ideas of Boston trades. And I think he had like Jimmy and Nico for Avery Bradley, Jay Crowder, Amir Johnson. And I want to say Terry Roger, maybe Uh, plus the 2018 Nets first round pick, which is unprotected. And that's like on paper, that's a pretty fair trade, but you know, Bradley and Crowder already, have, they're not going to be aligned developmentally with the young guys that you, you're going to want for Jimmy. So I think, like, that's where Denver stands out. If you can convince, you know, we, we've talked about this a couple episodes ago where uh, Nuggets fans refuse to put uh, uh, Nikola Jokic in any deal for Jimmy Butler, which is absurd because you don't get to trade <laughs> for someone else's best player without including your best player. But if you could get, a Jimmy deal structured around Jokic. Now we're talking because that's a guy who's super young, but also has like that superstar upside. So, you know, I, I don't know that they would find a deal like that, but that's the kind of thing I would be pursuing if I were the Bulls and I was serious about trading Jimmy. So now let us go into our deep dive section. Last week we hit on a bunch of the top Eastern Conference contenders. So, Sarah. This is your week. It's the Western Conference. <laughs> we're going to start with the Clippers, who were 20-8 and eight before Blake Griffin had uh, his little knee surgery. They have gone 7-6 and six since. They are still 6th in both offensive and defensive rating, and Chris Paul is leading the league in ESPN.com's real plus-minus by a country mile, I think by more than two points. Uh, so he is, yeah, he's playing out of his mind, and it's going under the radar, as usual, with Chris Paul. So the question with the Clippers, I think, is do you think Blake's return is going to fix whatever's been plaguing them lately? And are they a legitimate threat to the Warriors in the West? You know, not, (laughs) we'll have to just forget that game in December where they got (laughs) waxed. Um, That's really the question, isn't it, regarding Blake? Uh, As I think, you know, obviously Chris Paul is playing great basketball and you were used to that from him and and Blake. You know we've seen them be successful in the regular season without Blake, but I really believe that 
in order for them to have any chances in the postseason, he's got to be that MVP caliber guy that he's been for flashes of like the last three years, but you know he's had so many injury problems. Um, if he can get back to that, they can be a big threat. He, you know, he there's this there's a chance that all of this works out okay, and they you know they come back together and they're somewhat fresh and and they peak at the right time. You know, that's always the goal. It's just just be playing your best basketball when you really have to. And you know, I I don't want to overreact. Uh, to that game, like you said, but <laughs> I do think we can't quite put them up there uh, as a contender with the Warriors at the moment, just because they really have yet to prove it. You feel like you know they can compete, but they they just <laughs> always fall a little short, you know. So they're gonna have to at some point go out there and beat that team mm-hmm. before I think we can jump on that that ship. But you know, I think you and I both picked them to be second in the West and, and they kind of fell apart earlier than, than usual yeah. than we expected. Yeah. But, but I still think they have a chance to, to be that, that threat that we all saw. And they've kind of been like the sleeping dog, you know, yeah. they've fallen under the radar because of, of Blake being out. And then Chris was out for a little while as well. Right. So I think that makes them even more dangerous. Cause I do think we, we kind of forget about them. I was surprised to see that they're still, you know, what, six, you said, in offense and defense? Yeah. So, you know, you without Blake and with CP being out, uh, in and out. So, yeah, they're still very dangerous. They're still very good. <laughs> it's easy to forget about it. Yeah, but. yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I think you phrased it well that they're kind of the sleeping giant that, you know, because Houston has been playing so well yeah. and came really out of nowhere, uh, I think they've kind of been the talk of the – town outside of the Warriors so you know the Clippers are just kind of they're trudging along they're, they lost six straight they've now won five straight so it seems like they've gotten their legs back under them at least since Chris Paul came back um you know we were gonna mention I was gonna mention this later but we might as well touch on it now Kevin Garnett just joined the Clippers as a consultant as well uh it says he's not gonna travel with the team uh, or be on the bench, but he's going to occasionally help out at practices. And my, my favorite thing about this story was when DeAndre Jordan was asked about his new role, he said, amazing, amazing, amazing. Besides him cussing me out, we played against each other. So <laughs> so I think, you know, I don't know how much he's going to be around the team or how much he's going to help, but I feel like the Clippers need that, like, cagey nastiness to them, especially... Mm-hmm when they're going up against the Warriors, like it seems like they have this monkey on their back when it comes to that team where they just can't get over that mental hurdle. And I feel like a homicidal maniac like KG (laughs) is going to help them, you know, kind of get past that and be like, all right, we are, you know, maybe we don't have the talent of this team, but we can beat them and we, you know, we're not scared of them. I think we talked about that uh, an episode or two ago. You know, how how the fear of the Warriors is really thwarting teams from actually beating them. But you just, like, you can't go in and be afraid of them, and it feels like the Clippers are. So I'm, I'm interested to see how the KG consultant role, what, if anything, it does and what impact it has. But I do think it would be wise to at least consider the Clippers, you know, not a 
I'm not going to say they're going to beat the Warriors because they, you know, they need to prove it first, but they're at least a threat and they are a, they could conceivably make the finals if everything broke right for them. We just talked about Houston briefly, but let's go a little further in depth with them. You know, prior to Wednesday's loss against Minnesota, they had won nine straight. They are 20 and three since beating the Warriors in double overtime on December 1st and had the league's third best offense. This is my weekly chance to jab you and Morton. You guys gave me crap for putting James Harden as my preseason MVP. Oh, lo and behold, he's a legit <laughs> MVP candidate. He, one might say he's even the front runner. Uh, <laughs> while Mike D'Antoni, you know, he probably is the coach of the year front runner, if not for... I feel like David Fisdale in Memphis is the only other real threat to him right now. Um, and Daryl Morey, hell, he's probably the executive of the year right now because he brought in D'Antoni, brought in Eric Gordon, brought in Ryan Anderson, uh, and made the decision to move on from Dwight Howard, which really seems to have fueled this kind of shocking rise for, for the Rockets. So what do you think is kind of fueling Houston this season? What has made them turn into such... A monster, and is it sustainable over the second half of the year? Well, I was looking at uh, the stats site on NBA.com a little bit, and <laughs> I wanted to see like how many guys they have in the in the top of the catch and shoot mm. attempts. Uh-huh. And they have Eric Gordon is number four behind Clay and Kevin Love and Dirk, although Dirk has only played thirteen games. Okay. Um, he, he's got, like, what, six-and-a-half catch-and-shoot attempts a game. Trevor Ariza is ninth with 5.9. Ryan Anderson, 13th, 5.7. Wow. And, and the really awesome thing about it <laughs> is that you have to go in and look at the numbers because the attempt, that's their field goal attempts, catch-and-shoot. But then for each of them, the three-point catch-and-shoot field goal attempts is, like, a tenth of a percentage point less. They're, <laughs> so it, they're all pretty much threes. Right. Um, you know, and so they shoot, like, Eric Gordon's at 39%, Arie's the 39 Ryan 42.9%, but their effective field goal percentage is, like, 59, 59, and 63.9. Because they're, you know, it's all threes. So, you know, what it, what it comes down to is they have three guys accounting for seven catch-and-shoot made threes per game on, like, 21 that's 21 points on, like, 17.8 attempts. So that's ridiculous. And that's, you know, you're not even accounting for your superstar, James Harden, who's, like, one of the top scorers in the league. And and then you got, you know, the the role men, you know, Capella and, and Harold. And they have uh, Nene, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, and Decker, who's a young athletic guy, who's <laughs> kind of a wild card. So... I mean, all that to say, I think that it is sustainable in the regular season. Okay. Um, I'm interested to see how it works out in the playoffs because they really are all in on this, you know, we're just going to score more than you and, and we're either going to stop you enough or you're just going to be inefficient enough at your type of game that we're going to win. Right. Um, and I don't know that that's going to work out for them. I really think it comes down to kind of those role guys being a threat mm-hmm. because um, I think, you know, if you make a decision, maybe 
it's a it's a calculated risk, and it sounds insane. But if you make the decision of we let Harden beat us, we don't overreact to him, and we don't leave the shooters. Yeah, you know, I think that that's an interesting strategy. But they do have those dangerous role men who, you know, in that pick and roll, it's not easy to just say, okay, well, we're not going to overreact to James because you got guys diving to the basket. So, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, they definitely are a threat. Um, but I still think I would put them below even the Clippers if the Clippers get um, healthy and get to where they're rolling, which remains to be seen. But uh, and, and the Spurs and the Warriors, obviously. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, they were, I think they're 19th, I want to say, in defensive rating. So as you said, their strategy is basically like, we're just going to outscore yeah. you, which, you know, we haven't, especially against the Warriors, we haven't seen that as the sustainable strategy for success. Uh, when the Warriors and the Cavs have battled, it's really been, we're going to play really tough defense on you, and we're going to make your life mm-hmm. hell. And by game seven, you're going to be worn down enough that you don't want to, you know, your, your legs are going to be tired. Um, they do have, I mean, Ariza is still a plus defender. Uh, Pat Beverly is a great defender and also perhaps a little dirty. So in, in a, <laughs> you know, in a seven-game series against Chris Paul or against Stephen Curry, they do have that. Uh, you know, that said... Harden, he's not as bad defensively as he was last year. Still not, you know, above average elite anywhere in that level. I think he's passable. Um, Mm -hmm. Same goes for Ryan Anderson, Eric Gordon. Uh, You know, Clint Capella's hurt right now, but he'll be back, uh, I think, in a couple weeks. So he'll provide some nice rim protection, but you you still definitely have some glaring defensive minuses uh, that you have to worry about in a seven-game series. I think you're right that in the regular season, they're just going to cruise to 55, if not 60 wins. Um, you know, I'd be surprised, frankly, if they were not a top three seed going into the playoffs. I am interested to see how that translates, uh, whether a team, as you said, kind of decides to sell out to stop the shooters and just let Harden get his 50, but don't let them bomb away from deep, like really focus on covering the three ball and if it, if they are going to pick and roll you to death all night at that point you're still at least trading twos for twos instead of threes for twos so i do think i would probably put them above i'd put them above the clippers and i it would be really close for me to the spurs honestly because mm-hmm. i you know we'll, we'll talk about the spurs next um but i also have some concerns about a few of their defensive matchups in the playoffs so at that, you know, with that in mind, it's like I have more faith in Houston's offense than I do in San Antonio's. So for me, I gun to my head, I would probably put Houston number two in the West right now. But I have also been irrationally high on them all year. So <laughs> just just because a 40-game sample size has me looking smart does not mean the next 40-game sample size will do the same. So let's turn to your Spurs, Sarah. Uh, you know, surprise, surprise, Tim Duncan retired and they're still on pace to win 50 games. Always. Uh, Kawhi Leonard, you wrote an article about him a couple months ago, uh, about why he is not a system player. Turns out you were right. He is very much not a system player. Uh, he had a 30 point game on Thursday, which according to ESPN stats and info, that was his 10th game this season with at least 30 points. 
He only had four such games in his first five seasons combined. So, for those who do not believe Kawhi Leonard is a superstar, open your goddamn eyes. He is. <laughs> uh, Tony Parker, Pau Gasol, and LaMarcus Aldridge, all three were somewhat inconsistent to start the year. Seems like each of them is rounding into form and getting more comfortable. I mean, Pau, offensively at least, I, I know he's been putting up some pretty good numbers lately. Um, and Danny Green, you know, he was the giant question mark last year. Everyone was like, what, how did he forget to shoot? Turns out he didn't forget to shoot. He's back well north of 40%. Uh, so he is providing that same, you know, three a D look that he did throughout the Spurs, uh, championship run and run in the finals a couple years ago. So Sarah, I mean, you, you already said, you know, you think, you would have them number two in the West. So you, do you think, matchup-wise, you think they're the biggest threat to the Warriors? And do you see Pop doing anything special with their playoff rotation, particularly against Golden State? Do, or do you think he's worried about how Parker, Gasol, and Aldridge will fare against the Warriors in that regard? I think it's you know fair to say that Probably every coach is worried about how they're going to defend those guys. Um, it, you know, usually when I think Pop is going to zig, he zags. So I won't try to, you know, attempt to figure out what he's going to do or anticipate what he's going to do. But um, I, I honestly think Davis Bertans is a is a wild card there. Um, you know, and I don't know because he's so young. I'm not sure what kind of playoff minutes he's going to see, but I do think in certain matchups he he could be really crucial. Um, same thing with Deadman. But my, I just you know, Kawhi Leonard is so freaking good. It's ridiculous. You, know, you mentioned the thirty point. He just had two thirty pointers in a row, and it was like it looked so easy. Mm-hmm. You know. And, and he's doing it in limited minutes. Like, last night he had 14 points in the first quarter. I look up early in the third, and he's at 27. And I felt like he hadn't even done anything much since since the first, you know. Right. But I, I was also busy during the game. But it's like, geez. And he's, he's got 31, and I don't even think he played the last three minutes of the third quarter and none of the fourth. So, you know, these people who still say, well, he's never had 40 or 50. It's like, he could have had 40 easy, Yeah, you know easy but anyway (laughs) i digress um as for the warriors i mean we'll we'll get into them in a minute um i do think more so than in past years teams with especially like two really good bigs so like memphis um even to an extent utah can can hurt them Mm -hmm. But you know, it's not it's not a gaping vulnerability because right. they're still so potent. But yeah, it'll be interesting to see. I and mean, we've talked about that before. Powell does look really good right now offensively. Um, but yeah, you worry about what you're giving up on the other end. Uh, it, it'll be interesting. I do think the Spurs have a a good mixture of people to try and throw at the Warriors. Like you said, you've got Deadman, you've got. Um, Pow, this is kind of the yin and the yang. Yeah, right. Um, and, and Deadman also is, you know, it's the first time in a long time 
that the Spurs have had a guy that you can just kind of throw it up to, alley-oop it to, mm. and, and he's a threat in that way that we haven't had in forever. So it's going to be interesting. If, if Spurs are going to be, a, you know, a, a team that goes to the third round and possibly the finals, it's going to come down to, you know, guys like Jonathan Simmons mm-hmm. that, you know, haven't really been that far on that stage yet. It, they, the Spurs are going to depend a lot on, on guys like that, so it's really a toss-up. <laughs> we'll just have to see how they perform in the playoffs. Yeah, uh, I think, I mean, I'm glad you mentioned Simmons, Deadman. Patty Mills also stands out as a guy mm-hmm. to me. Like I, I kind of think he's going to be their X factor in determining, you know, in, in a hypothetical Spurs-Warrior series. I just don't see how Tony Parker is going to keep up with Steph, and maybe you put Danny Green on him. I feel like Kawhi's got to be on Durant. You just you mm-hmm. have to, you know, you don't really have a, a choice in that. So you need to probably put, I guess, you put Danny on Steph and then let Clay have more or less free reign, at least in terms of like not being covered by one of your top two defenders. But you know, if for whatever reason Pop just goes straight covers and does Parker on Curry, I don't see any way that works long term. So I, I feel like in that sense, Patty Mills might see a little bit more playing time than usual, and maybe he's kind of the Curry stopper, and you do Mills on Curry, Green on Thompson, Kawhi on Durant, and that gives you a fighting chance, uh, defensively at least. But you know, I think that's, that's going to be the big question with the Spurs for the next three months. We know they're good. We know they're going to be a 50-win team. They're going to be in the playoffs. They're going to probably be a top three seed maybe even top two the question is you know when when they're going against these offensively potent teams how do they cover up these three guys who are not necessarily if they're not defensive minuses they are not defensive pluses either they're you know average or worse defensively uh so it's you know there's I don't think there's any easy way to answer that question right now and I yeah. think it's it'll be matchup dependent obviously it depends on well, we should mention that they were briefly the top defensive team in the league I think they're still like they slipped to number two I'm not sure where they are now so they're they're defending well somehow mm-hmm. um, but they do have you know weak areas like every team but sure. you know the pick and roll is is a is a struggle at times. Yeah. They're going to have to figure out. I think the Bucks and Powell even mentioned after the Bucks game oh, that yeah. they lost narrowly the other day. That the Bucks ran like the same two plays over and over and over, <laughs> and the Spurs did not have a lot of success stopping it. And it was a lot of it was like a pick and roll with Beasley, uh, Michael Beasley. Oh so yeah, yeah, and that's something they're going to have to address and try to solve in some way before the playoffs come around. Because yeah, the Rockets are going to throw that at you a bunch. Yeah. Um, the Clippers are going to throw that at you a bunch. And, you know, with uh, good old Steph Curry somewhat (laughs) coaching for Steve Kerr, they're (laughs) they're going to run that more. So it'll be interesting. Yeah. So let's, let's go into Steph Curry and the Warriors right now. You know, last year they won 73 games. This year, probably not going to win 73 again. But at 33 and 6, they're not very far off from that pace. Uh... They have a chance for a statement game Monday against the Cavs, who have kind of hit a rough patch on this West Coast trip. They've been complaining about needing practice to 
freshen up their sets and get Corver integrated. So this is, you know, the Warriors do not play. They have three days of rest before this game. Cavs seem tired and grumpy. So <laughs> this this could be send a statement for that Christmas Day loss. Uh, you know, Kevin Durant still putting up MVP caliber numbers. It's basically like he's in OKC still. Steph, uh, he's taken a step back statistically compared to last year, but as he recently told the ESPN.com's Chris Haynes, uh, he called it comical because if you look at the numbers <laughs> in the politest way, I'll take those slump numbers any day of the week, which is a completely fair point. You know, most mm-hmm. most teams would kill for a guy putting up the numbers Steph is, even if it's not, you know, thirty six and five with five three pointers a game. So. That begs the question. I mean, I, you know, I think both of us, it's safe to say, still thinks uh, the Warriors are the number one team in the West, the biggest threat to come out of the West and go to the finals. So what do you see as the weaknesses on the team that could be exploited come playoff time, if there are any? Um, well, everybody's kind of talked about it a little bit. Um, I think you mentioned, too. In the outline that you know that they don't have really as much answer for bigs as they once did. Of course, you know they didn't play Bogut that many minutes, but yeah, he was still important. Um, and I think teams have you've seen teams have been able to punish them a little bit in the post, which they couldn't do as much in the last couple of years. Um, the bench. It's not going to be a big issue, especially not in the playoffs. But I remember Morton, you know, when he picked them to win, what, 73 or 4 again? <laughs> yeah. yeah. And he said that they were just going to have such huge leads and then they were going to be able to rest their starters and cruise with the bench. Well, you know, that hasn't happened as much because they do have some turnover there and some younger guys. And you can't just leave those guys in and expect them to hold the huge lead anymore. Um you know, rotations will shorten in the playoffs, and that won't be as big a deal. I think the Rockets gave a pretty good blueprint um, in that game in Golden State, that really fun game. Uh, they crashed the offensive glass a lot. Mm-hmm. And there again, you have to make sure you have somebody back because <laughs> that's really dangerous to not. But, like, Ryan Anderson was all over the offensive glass, and I think that's an interesting strategy as well because, you know, the Warriors aren't even a bad rebounding team still somehow, you know, but but they can be hurt in that way. Um, and those are the big ones for me. And in their defense, they seem to still be capable of defending well, mm-hmm. but it's like, you know, they kind of flip a switch, which we've seen teams do in years past, and that's a dangerous uh strategy to get into where you you know it's like they don't care as much at certain times and then they decide well okay now we're going to (laughs) defend right and i don't think you want to get into that but but at the same time they're you know they're maybe a little more human than they looked last year it's the same it's really it's like the same as with steph it's like he said you could say the same thing about the whole team it's just that he set such a high bar last year that you know, he looks more human. He looks a little little less invincible. Um, but his numbers are still great. The big difference is his off-the-dribble stuff that is what really made them transcendent and terrifying last year. He hasn't been quite as great at that. But they're still 
cruising along, winning most of their games, you know, as usual. Yeah. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, they're basically in the top 10, at least, of just about every offensive category imaginable. So Mm. any (laughs) concerns about, like, Kevin Durant, you know, we talked about it coming into the year, how we didn't expect them to struggle like the 2010-11 Miami Heat because it wasn't like they were putting together an entirely new offense. They were just integrating a four-time scoring champion into an already constructed team strategy, team culture. Kevin Durant has taken no time to acclimate. He looks great. Um, I think you're right to point out that Curry, you know, is not attacking off the dribble as much as he used to. Uh, That said, I think Draymond, I want to say Draymond was the one who said this recently. Uh, He basically said like for a half of each game, we're basically just like experimenting and seeing what works and what doesn't. Cause we, you know, we do have such a different group now both with KD and then with a very different bench from the core that they brought to the last two finals. Um, so I think you're right to say that, you know, that, that bench, that lack perceived lack of bench depth, uh, probably will not be as much of an issue come playoff time, just because, you know, the guys, KD Thompson, Curry, Draymond are each going to be playing minutes in the high 30. Yeah. High thirties. Iggy's probably mm-hmm. going to be playing 30 minutes a night. Zaza's minutes are probably going to go up a little bit. Future all-star Zaza, I should say. <laughs> um, so I think, you know, you brought up their bench depth and the rebounding. I think those are definitely two of the biggest ones to watch out for moving forward. We also have to talk about turnovers because, you know, that, exactly. I was just going to yeah, say, I forgot that. Yeah, yep. that's, I, I really, I mean, that's been their issue. It was their issue last year. It came back to bite them in game seven when Steph throws that behind the back pass in the fourth quarter that goes out of bounds and Steve Kerr is about to have an aneurysm and you know <laughs> they came back to haunt them on Christmas Day against the Cavs like they are just a little too casual with some of these passes and they're a little they try to be a little too flashy um, um, I don't know I don't know what what can Kerr can do to stop doing that for so I've been talking yeah, about it yeah, for a long right, time right, and it keeps right, happening so right, like, so it's like I don't maybe that's maybe side but then sometimes they go a little too far so uh, you know all of these things are very minor nits to pick frankly I mean again I think we would both if we had to choose a team to come out of the west today I think it's safe to say we would both take the Warriors but you know it's just as you said they do not look as invincible as they did last year and you know we talked last time about if we were picking a Cleveland Warriors series, it's pretty close right now. It's not, I mean, Cleveland's limp. Of course, since we've had that conversation, Cleveland has been limping along for the past week. But, okay. <laughs> you know, if, if assuming full health on both sides, that I think it looks more evenly matched this year 
than it did last year, despite the Warriors adding KD, as insane as that sounds. Yeah, it's the thing. Like theoretically, on paper, they should be more unguardable, but it feels like that's not right. quite true. You know, at least so far. But they can yeah. still get better. But I'm really glad that you brought up like the fact that their ball movement is one of the things that made them so dangerous. Because I did see them talking about, you know, that maybe all that beautiful ball movement is is a bit of a problem. No, that is the reason that you're no longer losing in the second <laughs> curves. You know, like in right. 2013. You know, that that's not the problem. But you just can't be careless at the same time. It's a delicate balance. They are. Like right now, I think they average like 15 turnovers a game, which is 26th in Yikes. the league. Um, but at the same time, they're turning over their opponents 15 times. Go. So it's kind of yeah. working out for them. Uh, I think we should also mention, though, you know, like, there again, we figured KD would integrate well, and he has. Uh, but like we saw at the end of that Memphis game, they're still trying to figure out when they are in the clutch, which yeah. they rarely are because they're so good, you know, how do we execute, who do we go to? And they pretty clearly had a Steph pick and roll play towards the end of that game mm-hmm. set up, and KD had a mismatch, I think, with Zebo, and he called for it, and... You know, that's pretty well documented. You can still go back and find the video on Twitter if you're looking for it. But, yeah, Steph ended up giving it to him. He didn't look that happy about giving it to him. Draymond certainly was not happy about it. And, you know, that they are going to have to work that out uh, or that could be an issue in the yeah, playoffs as well. that's a very good point. I'm glad you brought up that Memphis game because I was just, like, casually <laughs> watching it. Like, oh, wait, the Warriors are blowing them out. Oh, wait, yeah, this is a game again. Oh, this is fun. Yeah, I stopped yeah. watching. And then I checked my phone later, and it's like Memphis had won. Right. <laughs> so I luckily was able to go like rewind right. the oh, TV nice. and watch the fourth. But yeah, yeah, it was crazy. yeah that was a very surprising uh, comeback, to say the least. And Zemo's interview afterwards mm-hmm. was fantastic. Um, okay, so let's now move. We don't have much for our Where Amazing Happened segment this week, but we do have uh, a quick Rajan Rondo update. You know, we mentioned we talked. Uh, at length about him last time so go listen to last week's Mm -hmm. episode if you want to hear us on Rajon Rondo uh this week since Jimmy Butler has been out with an illness and Wade was out I think just with a normal night of rest on Tuesday uh Rondo got into the lineup on Tuesday uh before the game he said he was telling reporters that Fred Hoiberg did not explain why he was benched but said, quote, I got a slight explanation from another guy on the staff. A guy told me that he was saving me for myself. Um, he also referred to his benching as bullshit. So that's fun. Uh, he, he also <laughs> played Thursday night in the loss to the Knicks because, again, the Bulls were shorthanded. Um, afterwards, I think Taj was saying, like, we're a better team with Rondo. And Hoiberg said, yeah, I expect him in the lineup moving forward. So all of this is to say... The Rajan Rondo drama is nowhere near over. Uh, so we, I'm sure once Morton is back from his honeymoon, we can hear from him and see uh, how his <laughs> thoughts have evolved on Mr. Rondo and his fit with the Bulls. The only other big thing, because we already mentioned KG joining the Clippers, Adrian Wojnarowski of The Vertical broke this news this week that Allen Iverson is going to be a player-slash-coach in the new Big 3 3-on-3 league. 
which is uh, something sponsored by Ice Cube. It's going to be kind of touring the country <laughs> in the summer. Uh, he's joining, according to Woj, joining Chauncey Billups, Kenyon Martin, Richard Lewis, Jermaine O'Neal, Steven Jackson, and Jason Williams. Uh, just for some background on the league, it's only for ex-professional players above the age of 30. They're going to be played in half-court settings to preserve the guy's legs, basically, and will feature four-point four shots uh, designated by three large circles several feet behind the three-point line. They'll be played to 60 points, and there's a seven-minute halftime once the team reaches 30 points. Uh, Iverson, when he had a, he was at a press conference Wednesday to talk about it, and he said, when I got the call, it was a no-brainer. It's ice. You don't turn that down. That's success looking you right into your eyes. Uh, so, Sarah, how excited are you for the Big Three League? <laughs> it's pretty exciting. Like, because, first of all, I could watch Jason Williams, you know, tapes of him, like, killing rec leagues, stuff have come out. And, like, I could watch that all day. So, that's pretty fun. I was a little worried about the four-point <laughs> thing because... First of all, none of these guys are really big three-point shooters to begin with, except Jack, sort of, Richard Lewis a little bit. Uh, so, I mean, Chauncey could hit the shot. But, yeah, I don't know how that's going to work <laughs> out. Um, it's like like Greg Popovich's yeah, nightmare. Really but <laughs> but um, it's exciting. I, like, I had flashes in my mind of the XFL. Oh which I, I like. I'm afraid it'll flame out like that. Hopefully, it won't. Um, but it's exciting. I think it has the potential to be yeah. really fun. If nothing else, it'll be some fun thing to track during the NBA offseason. I think it's going from like January mm. or sorry June until late June until August. I think I saw. I don't know if it's being televised. One can only hope that ESPN is smart enough to <laughs> to know yes. that this is just pure gold. Um, but yeah, I, I'm just I am giddy with excitement about Allen Iverson as a player coach. <laughs> there is no way this does not end just with an epic meltdown at some point. So I'm also excited for like 15 years down the line because this thing is clearly going to work when Steph Curry joins the league and just rains four pointers <laughs> on dudes for the rest. Of, oh my god, they won't even they they'll like barely get. I mean, I guess it's a half-court game anyway, so he'll just walk three steps, stand in that circle, and shoot. <laughs> it's going to be great. Yeah. So, yeah, keep an eye out, everyone, for the big three, three-on-three league. We will present more details when they announce more because, obviously, uh, it's a fun chance to catch up with some former NBA stars. I'm hoping mm. Stefan Marbury seems like a lock for this, right? He's got to come back from China. He should be. Yeah. That'd be fun. Yeah, so, and maybe, oh, I guess. But he runs China, though, so. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. they have, like, built statues in his honor at this point, so maybe he doesn't <laughs> come back. Maybe Shaq, maybe this, it should, they should frankly get the inside the NBA guys. Like, we need Shaq and Barkley yes. and Kenny the Jet to come out <laughs> and make their own three-on-three team. That would be unstoppable. <laughs> All right, I, I just got an idea. I'm going to go sponsor one of these things when I'm done. Uh <laughs> <laughs> so let's finish up this week with our crushes of the week. We are going to, as always, shine a spotlight on a player who deserves a little more recognition than he's getting nationally. So, Sarah, who's your crush of the week? Well, I <laughs> I cheated a little bit because I picked Danny Green last time, and but I didn't really mention uh, 
the contest. So I would just like to cape for him right now to be in the oh, three-point nice. contest. He's not only shooting a career best for the three-point percentage, but he's currently leading the league. So this is his year <laughs> to get the invite. I feel bad because I've been waiting for it to happen. You know, and it just kind of never worked out because they were never going to pick two Spurs, even though, you know, they have no problem. They don't hesitate to pick two Warriors, of course. I get it. But, um, yeah, you know, Bellinelli had his year. Bonner, well-deserved. All these guys, well-deserved. You know, and then finally, actually, Danny was really good, I think, at 15 as well, but didn't get it. Uh, Last year, obviously, had a down year, but this is his time, dang it, and he better get an invite. I need to see Danny Green in the three-point contest this year. Invite whoever else you want, all the Splash Brothers, the third Splash Brother. I don't care. Just invite Danny Green, please. That that, that caping is allowed because I'm going to – Lloyd knows that I will be caping for Mr. Embiid to be in the All-Star game in a few minutes. Before we go there, though, uh, you know, I – you reminded me, thankfully, that you had nominated Malcolm Brogdon a couple weeks ago as your crush, so I will not do him again, even though he's been playing out of his freaking mind since moving into the Bucks starting lineup yeah. at his first career triple-double on New Year's Eve. Uh, I mean, I think it's safe to say that, that you know the Bucks have the steal of the draft already. Kid was a second-round pick, mm-hmm. and he's looks like a legitimate, at least rotation player, if nothing else, but a legitimate keeper in that young core in milwaukee uh i'm writing something for b-ball breakdown right now about kind of the best young cores in the league and i think milwaukee i would argue milwaukee has the best one once i write this thing we can argue about it next week but uh i you know i think the Giannis, jabari chris middleton gives them the best big three but then with brogdon as well uh it's just a another fun young piece to add to that team so keep an eye out for the Bucks. They're going to be really good. You know, the fact they've stayed this good without Middleton this year is terrifying, frankly. Uh, so shout out to Morton, too, because he's the only one, I think, of us who put the Bucks in the playoffs heading into the year. But my actual crush of the week, Tyreek Evans. Uh, you know, he missed the first 26 games because he had had, I think, three knee procedures in the last 18 months. So he was coming back from that. He's still working his way back slowly. He's been on a minutes limit. Uh, they've been gradually ramping him up. Uh, they've given him, you know, he started in like the 12 to 15 minute range. He's now moving up to around, I think, 18 to 20. Uh, against Brooklyn on Thursday, though, he played nearly 28 minutes, had a season high 29 points, four rebounds, three assists, four steals, and a block, I believe. Yeah, he had a block too and two threes as well. So, it's, I mean, just wanted to shout out Tyreek for getting healthy. It's, you know, it's fun seeing him back on the court. Uh, it's, you know, we talked about the Pelicans earlier. It's sad to see Anthony Davis on a team where he was just putting up 40-point, 20-rebound games earlier this season. And they were still losing. So it's nice to see the Pelicans finally getting healthy, having reinforcements for him. And keep an eye on them. They, they could be a sneaky contender uh, for that number eight seed in the West, the factory of sadness that is the number eight seed. <laughs> so with Tyreek healthy, with Drew Holiday healthy, knock on wood, everyone in New Orleans, uh, could be an interesting race in the coming months. So that is going to do it this week for the NBA podcast. Again, be sure to check us out on Twitter at the NBA pod. 
All three of our Twitter handles are in the bio, so give us a follow as well. Uh, you can find us on iTunes. Be sure there to download, to subscribe, to leave us some reviews. We'd love any feedback you have for us. And follow FanRag Sports at FanRag Sports on Twitter and at FanRag NBA for their NBA content. Also, be sure to vote NBA vote Joel Embiid for the All Star Game. <laughs> we really—he's only sixteen thousand votes behind Kevin Love. People, we really need him to get that date with Rihanna. He's playing his mind out. Uh, he worked Christoph Porzingis like a little schoolgirl the other night. So <laughs> be sure. Hashtag NBA vote Joel Embiid. With that said, I'm Brian Teporek. I was joined, as always, by Sarah Chalea. Sarah, great talking to you. You too. All right, take care. You too, bud. Easter is coming up, and I just can't wait to have the whole family in one place. And, of course, what's Easter without an awesome Easter brunch? Now, I don't know about your family, but mine is a little picky, and I really wanted to impress them with something delicious. A friend told me I should check out Total Wine & More. It was crazy. They must have every wine and beer imaginable. I told one of their friendly experts my situation, and they found me just the thing. This sparkling wine is going to be absolutely perfect for brunch, even with my picky family. I know next time I need something, I'm shopping at Total Wine & and more. Easter is coming up, and I just can't wait to have the whole family in one place. And of course, what's Easter without an awesome Easter brunch? Now, I don't know about your family, but mine is a little picky, and I really wanted to impress them with something delicious. A friend told me I should check out Total Wine and More. It was crazy. They must have every wine and beer imaginable. I told one of their friendly experts my situation, and they found me just the thing. This sparkling wine is going to be absolutely perfect for brunch, even with my picky family. I know next time I need something, I'm shopping at Total Wine and more. Get to Old Navy for the biggest sale of the year. Up to 60% off all back-to-school styles for kids and baby. Get flip-flops for 2 bucks, graphic tees for 4 bucks, shorts for $6, and jeans for $8. Right now, get the best kids' styles at kid-size prices. Just 2 4 6 and $8. Can't wait to wear it? Buy online and pick up in-store free today. Up to 60% off all kids and baby styles now at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 729-811. Select styles. Excludes in-store Hi, it's Jamie, Progressive's Employee of the Month, two months in a row. Leave a message at the... Hi, Jamie. It's me, Jamie. I just had a new idea for our song about the Name Your Price tool. So when it's like, tell us what you want to pay, hey, 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 and the trombone goes, blah, 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 and you say, we'll help you find coverage options to fit your budget. Then we just all do finger snaps while a choir goes, savings coming at ya, savings coming at ya. Yes? No? Maybe? Anyway, see your practice tonight. I got new lyrics for the rap break. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.